for Invite Your One Sunday. Um, last week, Pastor Jason shared how we could become a greater church. Uh, looked at 1 Corinthians 13, looking how we could uh, exercise our spiritual gifts in the spirit of love and how God encouraged us to do that. Uh, how we could use our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ where God has placed us, and that's right here in Faith Bible Church. Uh, we looked also at Romans chapter 12, uh, where Paul says that our believers are to present themselves uh, as living sacrifices or make ourselves available to serve the Lord. Uh, in other words, we're supposed to dedicate ourselves to, to him uh, in a rational, logical an intentional manner, we make a decision to do that, uh, to serve the Lord with our gifts. Pastor Jason reminded us that to make ourselves available to the Lord by not being conformed to this world, by not allowing, uh, another way to put that was by not allowing the world to squeeze us into his mold. I, I listened to that message last week, got all your notes. Uh, we we want to make ourselves available to serve the Lord, and that's what we're going to talk about today because we are not our own we belong to Christ first Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 we have been bought with a price so we should both bring glory to God in everything that we do because we belong to him and we can do that when we were are obedient to the great commandment which is loving the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and we are loving God with our heart soul mind and strength then we can love others as ourselves, and that's fulfilling the great commandment. And out of our obedience to the great commandment flows our desire to be obedient to the great commission, which is what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, your devices, what, what have you, turn to Matthew chapter 28, uh, at the end of the, end of the book, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Uh, when I think of the great commission... We, we uh, just had a ceremony this morning uh, honoring our, the members of our armed forces who have given their life to the service of our country so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we do just to be here this morning, worship as, as, we, as we see fit. Um, if you're with us this morning and you are, have served in the armed forces, we want to thank you uh, for your service. And, but today we want to especially remember and thank those who gave the ultimate sacrifice of their lives for us to be here today. Well, if we think of the military, we think of a commission, women and, uh, men and women in the military are given a commission. A military commission is a formal document issued to appoint a person to a high office or a commissioned officer in the armed forces. It constitutes a document that has the effect, carries the authority that the person named is vested with powers of that office and is empowered to execute official acts. So a commission by a dictionary says, an authorization or command to, to act in a prescribed manner or perform prescribed acts. Th and this, this next statement is very interesting because it has very, uh, uh, very appropriate to what we're talking about this morning. It's authority to act for in behalf of or in place of another. Let me repeat that. Has, a commission has authority to act for, in behalf of, or in place of another. And we're going to see that we have been given the commission to act for, act in behalf of, or in place of our Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to sharing the gospel. 
So with a commission, with orders, comes a great responsibility. Hence, the title of our message this morning. A great responsibility to carry out the task or duties that one has been ordered to do. A great responsibility to carry out the task given the best of one's ability. It's the same thing with the Great Commission. The Lord Jesus has authorized us, he has empowered us, has given us the authority to execute an official act, to do a certain job, and we know what that job is, to share the gospel and make disciples. And along with those orders comes a great responsibility to do that to the best of our ability. It's a great responsibility that is also our reasonable service, as we talked about last week, which means an intentional, a logical, and intentional decision to fulfill those orders, to fulfill the Great Commission. So let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Let's read them. Uh, I'll be reading from the New American Standard. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A commentator once said that you can get of all of Matthew and the other Gospels, but if you don't do the last passage, you've missed the point entirely. So before we jump in to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, which is at the very end of the book, we need to have a little, give a little bit of a background uh, to the book of Matthew. It's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth his death, his life, his resurrection, and he wants to show us that, it, uh, that Jesus is a continuation and fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies uh, about Israel and about the Messiah. That he is the promised Messiah from the line of David, that he is an author authoritative teacher just like Moses, and that he is our Emmanuel or God with us. The first half of Matthew is uh, Jesus announced and taught uh, about God's kingdom. He brought the kingdom to the day-to-day day -day lives of the people by the various miracles that he performed. And then we see uh, the various responses. He was accepted by the, the crowds, uh, by many, but he was rejected by others, especially Israel's leaders, uh, mostly the Pharisees. In the second half of Matthew, he reports on the different expectations the people have about the Messiah. As a result of the miracles, both Jews and Gentiles, uh, they are excited that he is the great prophet and Messiah, but not the religious leaders. Their view of the Old Testament passage is that there's going to be a victorious Messiah, one that's going to free them from the oppression of Rome. They think the Messiah is going to declare, deliver Israel and defeat the Roman government. To them, Jesus is a false teacher making blasphemous claims of himself. And there grows, as you go through the book of Master, there's increasing opposition from them, and they begin to think of how they can get rid of him. Uh, Jesus withdraws and begins to teach his closest 
disciples what it means for him to be Israel's Messiah. He begins to teach on the themes from Isaiah, especially Isaiah 53, uh, the suffering servant. That this messianic king would suffer and die for the sins of the people. A servant that would lay down his life for Israel, for the nation, for the world. He taught that to follow the servant Messiah, you must be a servant yourself. Um, Listen to these words in Matthew chapter 16. There's no need to turn there. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Then Jesus begins to clash with the religious leaders. They plot to kill him. In the last few chapters of the book, we find Jesus celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples. Shortly thereafter, he's arrested, brought before the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling council. He's brought before uh, Pontius Pilate, and he's sentenced to death. But, Mayor, Matt, but here, Matthew is, uh, is, uh, shows that Jesus' death is not a tragedy or a failure. It's the opposite. His death is a surprising fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and promises. Jesus came as a suffering servant who was rejected by his own people, but instead of judging them, he is judged on their behalf. And that's what he does for us, doesn't he? He takes his sin upon us. He's judged for us. That's the gospel. His death and burial takes upon our sins. In his resurrection, we find our justification and righteousness. When we put our trust in him, his, his righteousness, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, our righteousness becomes in him when we put our faith and trust in him and in, in the gospel. So the book concludes here with his final teaching, the Great Commission. Jesus says that now he is the true king of the world. He echoes his promise from the beginning of the book, and he closes with it, telling them he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. As we, look, as we look at the Great Commission this morning, I think for most of us, it's a very familiar passage. I think most of us have memorized it. I know I have. Early in my Christian life, it was one of the passage, first passages that I memorized as a young believer. The problem for most of us is that we don't live it out in our daily lives. John Bloom, a, a writer... Uh, for the uh, website. John Piper has a website. It's called Desiring God. And this fellow, John Bloom, wrote an article, You Are Not Your Own. And in there, he makes this statement. And we, when we think about the Great Commission, we think about those of us who we understand it. Uh, we may not live it out in our lives. He says this, There are things that we believe doctrinally, things that we believe doctrinally, things that we know theologically. There are things that we believe doctrinally but we do not believe functionally. I've, I've said this before at other times. There are things that we believe theologically, but we don't practice them in our daily lives. So we, in, in effect, we're saying we don't believe them functionally. Mike Foster, former director of the Philippines, puts it like this. What you believe is seen in what you do, and what you do is seen in what you believe. What you believe is seen in what you do, and what you do proves what you believe. For us here in this passage of Scripture, we find the 11 disciples at this mountain in Galilee where Jesus had told them to meet them. Uh, some scholars believe it may be where the 12 were chosen. 
uh, remember all that had taken place, this whirlwind of Jesus' ministry, the highs and lows, the emotions were raw, and here they were, uh, the Savior appearing them for one of the last times here on earth. You know, last words are very important. They stick out in our memory, or they should stick out in our memory. And what Jesus has to say here must be of the utmost importance because these are some of his last words while he was on earth. And what does he say? In verse 18, he, he makes a great claim, all authority. He makes a great command in verse 19 to go to all the nations, and he makes a promise in verse 20 always. As we saw earlier, the, a commission is something we are commanded or to perform. It's authority given to act for in behalf of or in place of another. And as we said before, along with that charge comes a great responsibility. A great responsibility to carry out the task each one of us has been ordered to fulfill. The Great Commission, each and every believer. A great responsibility that's part of our reasonable service. A logical, intelligent, and intentional decision to follow through and obey what God has asked us to do. The responsibility, a great responsibility to carry out that task to the best of our ability. This morning we're going to look at three reasons why this responsibility is the responsibility of each believer to intentionally fulfill the Great Commission. Three reasons why it is the responsibility of every believer to fulfill the Great Commission. Number one, because it comes from Jesus himself. He commanded, verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, do this. He, he, he says it comes from Jesus himself. Authority. All right. That word in the Greek, it means power of choice. The liberty of doing as one pleases. It denotes freedom from action and a right to act. And when we're talking about God, when used about God, it means that his authority is absolute. It's unrestricted. He is sovereign. In this, this verse, the word denotes also the right to use that power as he sees fit. And this authority, this official right this, to act, has been given to the Father, uh, but it has been given to Jesus by the Father. Now listen to these verses. Uh, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anybody know the Father except the Son and anyone whom he chooses to reveal. John chapter 17, verse 2, Jesus said, For you granted him the authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given. That's in Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says that as he's praying to the Father. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, God the Father, it says, when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in heavenly places, far above rule, all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And again, another 
symbol, another sign of the authority he has over all things. And the entire Gospel of Matthew stresses the authority that Christ has. There was authority to his teaching. The people recognized that his, his teaching was different. It came with power and authority. That's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 29. He has exercised authority in healing. He hold, held, uh, healed the leper in Matthew chapter 28. He had exercised authority even in forgiving sins, the sins of the paralytic in Matthew chapter 9. And he had authority over Satan, and he delegated that authority to his apostles. Chapter 10 of Matthew verse 1 says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And here at the close of the Gospel of Matthew, he makes it clear that Jesus has all authority. And now he was instructing his disciples to go share the good news on the basis of that authority. Just like an officer was given authority, here's a document giving us authority to go. Okay, just as an, uh, the, the disciples were given this, to be out, uh, the authority to act for, to act in behalf of, or in place of another. Like the disciples, we are to go and share the good news based on Jesus' authority. He gives us that. We have been given the authority to act on behalf of him in this order, in this, the order to share the good news of the gospel. And along with that responsibility that we've been given to share the good news, along with that comes a great responsibility. A great responsibility to carry out this task of sharing the gospel. A great responsibility to take this message of salvation on the behalf of the Savior to all men. A great responsibility to carry out this task to the best of our ability. And a great responsibility is our reasonable service. A logical, intelligent, and rational, intentional decision to do what we've been commanded to do. Like an officer responsible to obey orders and carry out what is commanded, we too are to obey these orders. However, we are to obey our Savior out of a desire to please him. Earlier we said that it's written that we are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus tells us about obeying him out of a desire to please him, out of our love for him, in John chapter 14. Turn, if you would, there to John chapter 14, keeping your place here in Matthew. And it's interesting, because John, you know, with, when Jesus taught, or even out throughout the scriptures, when we hear something, see something that's repeated, it's repeated for a purpose. God wants us to understand this. He's emphasizing this to us. He wants us to catch it. He's repeating it because it's important. And three times in the same chapter, Jesus says this. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, <clears throat> he who has my commandments and keep them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come into him and make our abode with him. <clears throat> our love and devotion to our Savior 
should drive our desire to fill out, to fulfill the responsibility given to us in Matthew chapter 28. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus expresses that our uh, a desire to obey him should be because of our love and devotion to him, and the Apostle Paul expresses it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, compels us. The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so they who live might no longer live for themselves, they may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Christ's love should compel us. That love, that agape, that selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love that each one of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we accept him into our lives, when we receive that gift of forgiveness and salvation, we've experienced that unconditional love. And this love that Paul experienced, that each one of us experienced, is what controlled him. It says he controls. The NIV says compels. And that is to exercise, that word means to exercise control, continuous control over someone or something. To control or restrain. To press in on every side. To press together. To press together. And so Paul had this inner a sense of something that was driving him, that it was the love of Christ was compelling him, was driving him to share the gospel message. And it was because of what Christ had done for him. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, he says this again. This, you don't need to turn there. He says, for when I preach the gospel, this is the Apostle Paul, I cannot boast, since I am compelled as that, to preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul recognized that he belonged to Christ. He was not his own. And just like Paul, we are not our own. We belong to Christ. And like Paul, we must recognize that our life is not our own. We are to live first and foremost for him, and then secondly, for others. The great commandment allows us to fulfill the Great Commission. And now Paul, in this passage, he looked at others from God's perspective. He saw them as lost sinners in need of a Savior. And now Paul was compelled, he was constrained to share the gospel. The love of Christ should be controlling, should be constraining, should be compelling us to carry out our great responsibility of sharing our faith and for this series that we're in, for this day that we're looking forward to, which is part of fulfilling the Great Commission, we have a great responsibility to invite our one to hear about this great Savior. There's a slide here of a fellow named Penn Gillette. There he is. Uh, many of you, I guess you know him. He's a illusionist. They call him the magician. And uh, he was. Uh, there's a YouTube video. You could you, you could do it. Uh, you could YouTube it. Whatever you do. What do you call that? Go on YouTube and look for it. Okay. Um, there's, it's called Gift of a Bible. Pen Gillette 
And uh, here's a story that goes along with it. And he tells this in his own words, but it says, a few years ago, he reco Je Gillette recorded a video when someone who came to talk to him, about someone who came to talk to him after one of his magic shows. He said the guy was about his age and had participated in one of the acts as an audience member. The man complimented Gillette on the show, then said, I brought this for you. The man held up a, a book, a small book. It was a New Testament and Psalms, something that could fit in a person's pocket. I wrote in the front of it, the man said, and I wanted you to have this. The man explained he was a businessman and not crazy. Gillette, moved by the man's gesture, recalled he was kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eye and talked to me, then gave me his, this Bible. Now, it took a lot, I think, for this man to go, all right, to a, a known atheist. And this is what Gillette says. He says, I always said, Gillette explained, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? These are the words of Ken Gillette. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Gillette then offered this example to illustrate his point. If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you, didn't and you didn't believe it, that the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you, and this is more important, this, the gospel, eternal life, this is more important than that. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite, honest, and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me the Bible. Now, Gillette is an atheist, and he wanted to make that clear. I know, that I, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. But I tell you that he was a really very, very good man, and that's really important. And, what, what that, and with that kind of goodness, it's okay to have a deep disagreement. Of course, Gillette is completely right when he talks about evangelism, do we really believe the gospel? And if we do, do we love those around us enough to share it with them, even if it's socially difficult? That man understood his responsibility, the great responsibility that he was given to share the gospel. He took it seriously. Since Jesus has all authority, we know that we can obey him without any fear. By his death, resurrection, he defeated all the enemies and won himself that authority. No matter where he leads us, no matter what the circumstances are, we, whatever the circumstances we face, we know he is in control and will give us everything we need to do whatever, to do whatever he's asked us to do. I know we do. We believe this doctrinally. I know that we do, but do we believe it functionally? Are you willing to trust Jesus for your responsibility to carry out that great commission to everyone, to invite your one as part of filling, fulfilling that responsibility? So, so the first reason why it is the responsibility of each believer to fulfill the great commission is because it came from Jesus himself. The second reason is because the privileges of God's love 
come with a responsibility to all nations. Because the privileges of God's love come with a responsibility to all nations. Look at verse 19, the first part. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The The command is clear, all nations. In Mark chapter 16, Mark puts it like this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And the disciples, it says, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They're all familiar verses. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. All nations, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Here's the problem in Christianity. We want all the privileges of God's love without the responsibilities for the nations. That's, that, that is, we have a debt to every lost person on planet Earth. Now, there's 7.7 billion people a day on planet Earth. There are over 330 million people living in the United States alone. And out of that 330 million, it's estimated that over 246 million are lost souls. Men, women, and children who don't know Jesus. That's 246 million. Out of that 330, that's 75, over 75%. Now, to make it a little bit more relevant to our situation here, okay, in Vineland there's about 60,000 people, give or take. That's our Jerusalem. There's almost 150,000 people who live in Cumberland County. That's our Judea. And that means there's over 75 to 80% of them are lost souls who don't know Jesus as their Savior. That's approximately 50,000 people. If we do the math, if we extrapolate that, I used that word this morning, and I don't know where it came from, but it means to kind of make things relevant to our situation. Uh, Pastor Jason explained that to me in between services. Uh, But if we look at that, he doesn't know what it means either. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't. But if we look at our situation here in Violent, that means that could be, that's, like, that's 50,000 people. 50,000 people, most of the people in our community, don't know Jesus as their Savior. That means in Cumberland County, that's 120,000 people who don't know Jesus as their Savior. You know what that means? That means there's 50,000 people, people that you see every day in the store, people that you see every day in your neighborhood, people that you go to work with every day, that are, that if they don't trust Jesus as their Savior, face eternal condemnation in a place of torment and pain forever and ever. That's what that means. Now, this, the numbers in Vineland and, and, and Cumberland County, when you relate them to our country, they, they seem a little bit more attainable. But really, 50,000 people, for our, you think of our congregation here in Vineland, it still seems like an overwhelming task. Unless... We, each one of us here, was to focus on the number one. One friend at a time, one family member at a time, one neighbor, one coworker, one person you see in the, in the Wawa every day, or at the diner, or the guy that pumps your gas, one person at a, t- at a time. We have a debt, just like Paul, the apostle. We have a responsibility to every lost person who 
to share the good news, especially in our Jerusalem. Paul understood this responsibility, and he recognized he had an obligation before God to fulfill that responsibility and to share the gospel with any pe- every people that he came in contact with. Hold your place here in Matthew again and turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, through 16. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Paul writes this, I am under obligation, I'm a debtor, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, to the wise and the unwise. For, For so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That word, obligation, obligated, means one who owes another, a debtor, one held by some obligation, bound by some duty. Paul's debt, his obligation, his responsibility was to preach the good news. And his responsibility was to all people. He says to both Greeks and barbarians. Now what he's talking about here, he's talking about Greeks, all right, the Greek culture had infiltrated, had permeated the whole Roman Empire. And it says the Greeks, what he means by this is people from many different nationalities who embraced the Greek language and culture. They were the sophisticated elite of the day. They were the sophisticated. I guess I'm not, I pronounced that wrong. Because of their deep interest in Greek philosophy, they were considered wise. He was considered, he had an obligation both to Greeks the barbarians, the wise, and the unwise. The barbarians, that was a negative term to those not trained in the Greek language and culture. Paul used this term to describe all non-Greeks or the unwise, those who did not have the training, all right, or foolish, as it says in this verse, the same thing. So what he's saying is from that point of view, it means the whole human race. We look here at verse 16 that Paul says he, was a, he believes the salvation to go to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. So to the Jews, anyone who was not Jewish was considered a Gentile or the Greek. That's what he was talking about. So what Paul's saying, he had an obligation to all men that the gospel must reach the world's elite and the unwise. God is not a respecter of persons. God, the gospel goes to the world's elite, to its outcasts, to everyone. So Paul felt this obligation and this burden to the whole world. And he could not be free from this obligation. He could not be free from this debt until he has told, until he's told as many people as possible about the good news of salvation in Christ. The theme in chapter 1 for Paul concerning this is, is, is this. He's, what he's saying is, I am owned by Christ, so I owe Christ to the world. I am owned, I am owned by Christ, so I own, I owe Christ to the world. In verse 1 of chapter 1 of Romans, Paul writes, I am a bondservant of Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel. He was a bondservant. He belonged to Christ. 
He was his master. Christ was his master. He put himself under his authority. He chose to do that voluntarily. He was a bondservant. He put him in his service. And because of that service, now he was obligated to his master, called to set apart to preach the gospel. As we said before in Romans in 1 Corinthians, he said it again this way. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Again, that word compulsion is, is a different Greek word than, than 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But it means an obligation of a compelling nature. A complete and necessary obligation. And our obligation, our responsibility, is to see that the Great Commission is completed to tell as many people about those uh, 50,000, those 120,000 people we meet anywhere, tell them about Jesus Christ. You see, Christ's work is both finished and unfinished. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 4, says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus' work, redemption, is on earth is done. Only he can save people. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to the Father. The work is unfinished. Redemption is complete, but evangelism is not. It's our responsibility. We have a great responsibility to share the, great, the good news with everyone. Warren Wiersbe in the Bible Exposition Commentary says this, Christianity is a missionary faith. We're all missionaries. Mission, Christianity is a missionary faith. The very nature of God demands this. For God is love and God is not willing that any should perish. Our Lord's death on the cross was for the whole world. If we are the children of God and share his nature, then we will want to tell the good news to the whole world. Next slide uh, has a picture. We have a picture of some Chinese Christians who have been um, uh, arrested for proselytizing, have been arrested for uh, handing out, uh, spreading the good news of if they have a Bible in China, it's, it was illegal. Uh, this is from an article I read a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, talks about a Christian missionary, Chris Kane, share, uh, talking about her trip to China in 2019. I mean, and it says that uh, they were invited there at the gathering of 500 leaders of the Chinese underground church who asked to teach them how to lead young people worried that they were losing them to Western values. They were there to teach young people uh, worried that they were losing them to Western values. We don't understand anything about leadership. We don't understand anything about Western leadership methods. Could you help us? All we know to do is how to pray. All we know how to, to do is believe God, believe the, believe, the, believe the Bible that we've been reading. That's how we had revival in China, when we're not allowed to carry the word of God. The only, the only leadership training we give our people is this. We teach them how to witness to their executioner on the way to the execution. This article was taken, uh, written in 2019, and things have gotten much worse in China since then. We have missionaries who support, uh, who are willing, are waiting, are waiting to go to that country 
with a family, a young family. These Chinese Christians, this young missionary couple, they truly understand their responsibility to share Jesus with everyone, no matter what the cost. We believe this doctrinally, but do we believe it functionally? We have a responsibility to share the good news with everyone when it's coming to invite your one, and that's part of our fulfilling that responsibility to the Great Commission. So the first reason was, our, what the, why, the three reasons of why is our response with the, of each believer to fulfill the Great Commission. Number one, because it comes from Jesus himself. Number two, because the privileges of God's love come with a responsibility to all nations. And number three, because it's God's plan. Look at verses uh, 19, uh, the end of verse 19 through 20, back in Matthew chapter 28. Back in Matthew chapter 28, the end of verse 19. Uh, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Then he says, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and truly, or lo, I am with you, always, even to the end of the age. Great Commission is God's plan for us to share the gospel. It's plan A, and there's no plan B. God's plan is for us, men and women, and children, as I said before, men and women, women and children, to tell other men and women and children about the good news. That's our responsibility. God did all the work. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. He rose from the dead, and that, that's the gospel. And he did that because each and every one of us are lost sinners. If you're sitting here today and you're not sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never experienced that forgiveness, if you've never accepted that, that gift of eternal life and not, you don't know for sure if you're going to heaven, that you can't answer the question, you know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt you're going to heaven, Jesus died for you, and that's what the gospel is, and he wants you to know that. So if you're here today and you're not sure, please think about that and talk to one of us if you're not sure. But that's God's plan. That's, he did all the work. He's the one that will save people. He will come into their life give them new life. We call that being born again. That's his, he's does, he does most of the work. Our little responsibility, and it's a great responsibility, is to go and share that news with people we know and love. That's the plan. There's other plan. And when we look at the early church in the book of Acts, we see that it wasn't the apostles, but the congregation, the lay people, the everyday folk, as we would say, that were getting the job done. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 4, it says, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. That was because of persecution. Then it goes on to say, therefore those who had been scattered, all right, think about this, in the midst of persecution, which meant they fled for their lives, it says, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. They knew their responsibility and they were executing God's plan, no matter what the cost. We see the results of that. Uh, that it says in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls were added to their number. Uh, Acts chapter 4, 5,000 souls were added. Acts chapter 5, men and women were constantly being added to their number. And Acts chapter 11, it says that people from all parts of the, the word being preached in Acts chapter 8, throughout the world, 
people from different parts of the world were coming to know Christ as their Savior. See, God will save people, and he wants to use you. He wants to use F-A-T people. I don't want to say that out loud, but he wants to use fat people. You could laugh. It's okay. Faithful, that's F, faithful, available, and teachable. The greatest ability is the greatest ability is availability. Making yourself available to God, no matter how talented or how gifted you are, make yourself available with the desire to do what God wants you to do. Make yourself available for God's use. And see what he will do through you. No matter what stage in life you are, where you are in your spiritual journey, no matter how qualified you think you are. I want to show a slide here. Here's Morgan. Uh, it's not Morgan. It's Mariah, right? That's Mariah. Yeah. Mariah Palmer. Now, I didn't put this up there because she's Pastor Jason and, and Judy's daughter. But here's a 10-year-old girl. That's why it's up here. It's a 10-year-old girl who understands her responsibility to fulfill God's plan for the Great Commission, giving out invitations to invite your one to her whole softball team. As a matter of fact, there's a bunch of cards out there. I think most of them are from her because she's invited all her softball team, anybody she knows, to invite your one. And God wants to do the same thing through us. doesn't matter where you are in life, as I said. doesn't matter how gifted you are. God just wants to use you if you make yourself available to him. Pray for opportunities every morning when you get up. God, lead me to someone who I could share Jesus with, and he'll do that through you. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, all right, uh, disciples showed up at the mountain they were told to go to, and we're going to see there's five verbs that tell us how to fulfill the, the responsibility of the Great Commission. The first word, the first verb, is go. Go. This implies crossing boundaries. Go across the street to your neighbor. Go to the softball team that you're involved with, the people that you know. What, I don't know what kind of hobbies you have. Your neighbors, your uh, loved ones. Going across the street to meet your neighbor. How many of us don't really know our neighbors? Go to dinner with an unsafe friend. Go to your coworker at the lunch or break table. Go to the waitress at the uh, restaurant you frequent. You already have a circle of existing relationships that you can at least extend the invitation to inviting them to church. Just to, or just to anyone you happen to meet. We saw a video a couple of weeks. Mark Bianchi had shared how he was on um, Marketplace or something like that, Marketplace, and some people came over to buy something. Uh, his wife interested in getting rid of the piece of thing they had to get rid of and get some money. That's not true. But these people come, they had never met, and they got into a conversation, and he invited them to church, and we're going to see what God wants to do. It could be anyone you meet, wherever you are, as you are going, go. Go and invite your one. All right, the next verb is make. All right, make disciples. You can't make a disciples until they come to know Christ as their Savior, and they can't know, come to know Christ as their Savior unless we share the good news. And we're all disciples, aren't we not, that know Jesus as our Savior? We're all at different points in our spiritual journey. We never arrive as Christians. We are all a family of learners in the faith, from the newest Christian to the most spiritually mature. We all learn from each other as part of the making process. For some of us, the idea of respons the responsibility to share our faith is intimidating. 
but we have to start somewhere. Why not start with inviting your one to help fulfill the great responsibility? Second, the third verb is baptize. All right, that's baptize is, is a symbol that we've identified with Jesus Christ as our Savior, identified to all he teaches, and when we identify with him, we are identifying that we're placing ourselves under his authority to go and share the good news. Fourth verb is teach. The, that, the, the, the wording here literally means to keep on teaching. All right? The, the, the disciple, the teaching of a disciple is a lifelong process. It never stops. You can't, and you can't grow as a believer unless you go. You can't grow unless you go. Now, we're talking about inviting your one. We're talking about helping to fulfill the Great Commission. And we know that inviting someone to church is not an end in itself. It's only part of our evangelism process. It's only one part of our evangelism, but it's one step in bringing people closer to Christ. It's not just a one-time event or a one-day event, but it's the start of a new way, perhaps, of doing church differently. Inviting the church can become a regular part of our Christian life. Inviting to church, as I said, is just one step or part of our evangelism. Remember, inviting your one is an introduction for someone to the Savior by a simple invitation to church. And the last verb is lo, or behold. All right? Behold that God is with us through this all. He says that. And he is with us. Behold, he's with us to the very end of the age. And he will give us everything we need to accomplish this task. He will be there every step of the way. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So go, make, baptize, teach, behold. These five verbs apply to your one. These five verbs are the action items for the church. It's, this is God's plan. There's no, this is God's plan, plan A. There's no plan B. And he wants to use you to accomplish that. Last week we looked at ser serving the Lord by using our gifts. Each one of us is gifted differently. We may not all have the gifts, but we're supposed to exercise those gifts. All right, we may not have the gift of mercy, but we're all supposed to be merciful. We might have the gift of giving, but we're supposed to give. We may not all have the gift of evangelism, but we're all supposed to go and evangelize. We have a responsibility to do that. We believe this doctrinally, don't we? But do we believe it functionally? We have a responsibility to accomplish God's plan, and inviting your one is one step, one part of the process of accomplishing that plan. So it's the responsibility of every believer to fulfill the Great Commission. Number one, because it comes from Jesus himself. He commanded it. Jesus has given, given complete authority. He, when he walked the earth, he shared the good news of the kingdom. He has transferred that authority to us, just as an officer in the military. His job, redemption on earth, is done. Our job is not finished. It is our responsibility to share the good news. And that should come out of our love and our devotion to the Savior to carry out that responsibility. Number two, because the privileges of God's love come with a responsibility to all nations. We are debtors to all men. We have an obligation. We are witness to, wit, to be witnesses in our Jerusalem, our Judea, and our Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. We have an obligation to share the good news with whomever, wherever, and whenever we are. Our work is unfinished. It is our responsibility to share the good news. 
And number three, it's because it's God's plan. God will save people, and he wants to use you. God's plan, to use us, men and women, to reach other men and women with the gospel. That's the Great Commission in a nutshell. That's it. Plan A, there's no plan B. God is simply looking for you to make yourself available. He has all authority, and he's in complete control. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. And he will never ask you anything that he will not empower you to do. I wanted to show a short video. going to invite to church? Who is your one? We can do the Great Commission. We can invite our one as part of that as an act of worship. You can't serve God until you worship him. But have you ever doubted, the apostles did here, that you, have you ever doubted that you can't do this? I mean, how could God use you? It says here in Matthew chapter 20 verse 17, it says, some doubted. What were they why were they doubting? What were they doubting about themselves, about Jesus? While they were worshiping, it says some doubted. Maybe you are doubting right now. Maybe you are doubting that you can't do this. And that word of doubting means uncertainty in which, in which way to take. It uh, indicates more hesitation than unbelief. Doubt causes us to hesitate doing the Great Commission. So how do we deal with this doubt? We all have it, every one of us. Jesus tells us he has all authority. He assures them, the disciples, and tells them what to do. Go, make, baptize, teach, and remember all of this is an act of worship. This, this, uh, we see this group in the early church. It grew from 120 to thousands in Acts chapter 2. Why not you? God, why God, God could use you. Don't, don't doubt. God's there with you. Why, and what, what else is the church? We can believe this, and we can believe it because Jesus is faithful. He says that in the end of the, of the book. He will be with us always to the end of the age, age. So do the act of worship. Go to those you meet. Go to the, your neighborhoods, to the end of the earth. Do the act of worship and invite your one to church. Remember, introduction to the Savior may be come from a simple invitation to church. Inviting is just one inviting your one is just one simple step, one simple step on the way to becoming a great commission Christian. It's one simple step of developing a great commission mindset, mindset. And for us together collectively, it's one step for us becoming a great commission church. So invite your one, fulfill the great commission. And show it as a love out of your love and devotion and as an act of worship to God. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Father, your word is, is challenging to each one of us. Father, when we think of evangelism, it's an area of our Christian life that can be intimidating. Father, I think of the men and women you used, Father, to uh, go and share the gospel, the early church. Father, ordinary people like us. I think of the men and women you used, Father, as we, as we uh, remembered them today, as we, as we uh, remember what they've done for us. Uh, Father, uh, men and women who just did what you asked them, what was asked of them to do by their country, and they went and fulfilled it, and some, it cost their lives. Father, you're not asking all of us to go to a faraway place that may be dangerous. All you're doing is asking us to go across the street to our neighbor, to someone we work with, a friend, a family member, someone we see in the coffee shop every day. And Father, that's all you're asking us to do, and it's a great responsibility because in the balance hangs their eternal destiny. Father, may each one of us, Father, as your children, those who love you, Father, look and consider and, and, and make it our reasonable service to go logically, intelligently, and intentionally in fulfilling your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.